Okay, good morning. Um, fun week, huh? How many of you had a, have had a fun week? <laughs> it's been a challenging week, I think, for some of us, right? I see people are, are, are nodding their heads, I see. Um, let's turn, we've been starting, we started a series on how the Holy Spirit, how the power of God is released in our life. And when we think about the power of God being released, I think that we've all seen um, individuals and organizations that do their best to muster up some kind of a powerful event. Uh, we see this actually with the prophets of Baal when they were calling upon their God for, for fire to come down and burn up the sacrifice. And they cut themselves and they were just, they were just it was just this cra- crazy graphic scene. And, and, and all day they did that and there was no, there was no response. And Elijah gets up and he prays a 20-second prayer. If you read that prayer that he prays, right? We see that the prayer, God answers this prayer in 20 seconds. And fire comes down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice. And not only the sacrifice, but the altar and all the water around the altar. Okay? And we see that God answers by fire. And I think that we look at that and I think that sometimes we really desire, like, God, I want to see your power in my life. I want to see some answers, right? I want to see the Lord do something. I want to, you know, sometimes we feel like we're, we can, we're tempted to think as victims in our life and as victims of circumstance and victims of government and victims of, of family circumstances or our health. And sometimes we see that and, and there's, a, there's, this, there's, this, there's this time of frustration. How many have been there? I've been there. Maybe you're there today, right? Frustration and difficulty. And I think that if we don't understand what the Lord is doing, then we're going to miss the whole point. And so let's look at uh, John chapter 12. And I want us to look back at verse 24 and 25. And we did this last week. But I just want to say a couple things by way of review. And I'm going to grab my something to drink here. John chapter 12, verse 24. It says this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into into the earth, and what? What's it say? What? Dies got to die right unless it dies it remains what what you can talk back it's okay what does it do if, if it doesn't die then what does it do it's alone right it's alone by itself isolated but if it dies then what happens it it bears it bears much fruit right and verse 25 the one who loves his life what happens it loses it. He loses it. And the one who hates his life is in this world, what? So keep it unto what? Eternal life. Wow, does that speak to you this morning? It speaks to me. It really does. It really does. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read another commentary on this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And let's read this together. But we have this treasure in earthenware jars. I'm reading from a, the, Lex, the, the Lexham English Bible. I love this translation. But we have this treasure in earthen jars, earthenware jars. Does that remind you of something? Earthen jars, a story in the Old Testament. Gideon, right? Gideon, right? God dwindles down his army to what? He's got thousands of people, and then how many does he, does he have when he, when he faces the Midianites? Gideon's what? How many remember in Sunday school? 300, right? And God says, now you're ready to go. But I only got 300 men. You're ready to go now. I'm with you. And what does he do? He gets the earthenware jars, puts light inside of them. That night, middle of the night, Midianites have no idea what's going to happen, right? 
They, 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 get up on the, they get up on the hill around the, the camp. Everybody's sleeping, and there's this, and all at once, Gideon shouts what? What does he say? He says two things. The sword of the Lord and what? And of Gideon, right? Because Gideon gets to participate in this. And when he shouts that, his whole army breaks all these jars. And imagine the, the sound of, like, have you ever been sleeping at night and then you just hear in your house the sound of breaking glass? It's not a great sound to hear when you're sleeping. And there's this great sound of breaking pottery and, and pieces are going everywhere and everybody just wakes up and then there's all this light. And what happens? The Midianites are confused and they're defeated. We have this treasure. We have this light inside of us in treasure, in earthenware jars. In order, and listen to these words, in order that the extraordinary degree of the power may be from God and not from us. That's the point right there. God wants us to experience extraordinary power, but not from us. Because I think that we can be powerful people, we can do powerful things, we can go to the moon, we can do some incredible things, right? But we can't rule our spirit. We can't change our society. We can't change even people in our own family. That the, that the extraordinary degree of power may be of what? Of God and not of us. This is the point that God is working. God is working in, in, in our church, in churches around America, in churches in your personal life, that the extraordinary power, amen, Cyril, <laughs> may not be of us, right? Cyril's such a beautiful testimony of this, of this verse. That the extraordinary power, may, a degree of power may not be of us, right? <clears throat> but may be of God. Praise the Lord, because <clears throat> Christianity is not, it's not on me. It's not on you and I to live it out. It's not on, okay, you know, we own it, yes we do, but it's Christ in us that is to walk this out. The extraordinary degree of the power may be of God and not of us. <clears throat> we are afflicted in every way. You ever feel that way? Afflicted in every way? <laughs> wow. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now I wanna talk about that in a minute. We're not crushed, perplexed but not in despair. You know, it's okay sometimes when we're suffering in our, in our faith that we would understand, you know what, that we can say, oh, thanks. We can say, you know what, I'm perplexed, I feel crushed, but you know what, I'm not without hope. Persecuted, but not abandoned, right? Have you ever been persecuted? Have you ever been, there, has there ever been pushback in your life for your faith? And you kind of feel isolated, alone, like, wow, you know, man, do I feel alone. But you know what, you're not alone right? When everybody had forsaken Paul. And I'm going to go slow this morning because I feel like we need to go slow this morning. When Paul was in jail, right? All his disciples, all his churches, all his men, nobody shows up. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just him. And then he says, but I wasn't alone. Christ stood with me, right? He said that to the Corinthians. Christ stood with me. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. <clears throat> I love that. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. It says, rejoice not over me, my enemy. Though I'm down, I will get back up. Amen? That should be the prayer that every one of you should pray and that I should pray every time we fail. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, right? <clears throat> you're flat on the ground. You're down for the count. The enemy's saying, just don't get up. Don't get up. You ever, you ever get into a fight? Hopefully not. And the person is saying, just don't get up. You just, we get up anyway, we just get up anyway because Christ is fighting for us. And what happens? We are not destroyed, always carrying around the death of Jesus in our body, right? 
And that's, that, that is really, this is the mystery of our Christianity. This is the part of our Christianity that no other religion really can understand. That because you and I are associated with Jesus Christ, spiritual things are going to happen to you that you have no idea of. I don't know if you've ever had a situation in your life where it just comes out of nowhere, you're just broadsided by somebody saying something to you that you just know is so not of God and it's so demonic and they just say something to you and it's not even like, it's not even in any way like provoked and it's because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And this world system that we live in, government and everything, and all the systems, religious and economic and everything, this whole world system lies passively in evil. That's what, that's what Paul said. This whole system, and at any moment, this system can be charged. You can just find, like, suddenly you find everything is against you. And I, I, I don't want to just park on that, but in order that the life of Jesus may be revealed in your body, and this is the point of our Christianity. Christianity, and our point, Christianity is not for us that we would start feeling powerful, more and more powerful, because our flesh is addicted to power. And I want to talk about that this morning. We are addicted to power. We are addicted to the sense of power. We're addicted to the to the, to, the, to the portrayal of power. We are addicted to this feeling inside of our soul to like a powerful person. I'm prepared, you know. And this is this whole movement now that we have in an unstable society where, where we do need to be responsible and we do need to be uh, caring for our families. But there's a point where we just have to say, you know what, in the end, it's really God that's protecting us. And in the end, it's really God that's providing for us. Because you know something? The point is, is that God would bring us to a place where it's no longer I, but Christ that's revealed, right? Amen? How, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? There's moments where we just say, you know what? I, this is as far, I've gone as far as I can in this matter. And now God's gonna take over. And God does take over. And you know, this, that Christ may be revealed in your body for we who are alive are continually being handed over to death because of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our mortal flesh. So then, remember this statement, put this on your mirror, write it on your sticky note, put it in your office, on your desk, uh, keep it in the kitchen. So death, so then, death is at work in us, so that, so that life can work in you. You know something? Here's what happens, right? And I was thinking about it, and I was just thinking about some folks in, in our body here, people that I've gotten to know recently and, and I've known for quite a while. Do you know what happens to you? And I, sometimes we come through those doors Wednesday night, Sunday morning, we walk in, Bible school, Monday night, and we just, man, we feel defeated, don't we? We just feel like, man, I'm just not in great shape. (laughs) You ever feel that way? No? Nobody's ever felt that way, right? You don't feel so great. You don't feel like so spiritual, right? You come into the into the room and you just feel like, you know what, everybody in this room is more spiritual than I am, and I'm just gonna like, you know, I'm gonna sit in the back with Victor back there. And I'm just, that's the center section back. I'm just going like, to sit back there and hide my face behind the iMac right there. You know, Victor doesn't think that way. And I think that sometimes we feel this way. We feel like, man, I just am not a spiritual person. But you know something? When you and I say yes to the work that Christ is doing in our life, to the cross that's working in your life, okay? The cross is working in you. When you say yes to that and we surrender to the cross, we and it, it's, it should be easy because there's not really a lot we can do. And the more we say, you know what, I, I got this, I got this. The cross is gonna work deeper and it's gonna work deeper because what is the cross trying to do? Crucify us, destroy us, make us miserable, break our will, you know? No, the cross is trying to deliver you and I from our own power, 
from our own selves, from our own ability to live this Christian life, from our own ability to do what we can. Because you know what, when we live in our own ability, guess what? Guess what happens? We're batting, what is it, batting zero, right? We're just, we're missing the target. Because it's never enough. As a teenager, right? Growing up, you're, you're, you're in school, and no matter how well you try to please your peers that don't even love you maybe sometimes, and the more, the more you try to fit in, <clears throat> it's just not enough. Because you know what? They themselves are insatiable. People are insatiable. And when we try to please people's flesh, it just never works, right? You ever been in a situation where you're trying to please somebody's flesh? Maybe on staff or at work or in your family or <clears throat> maybe your neighbor, whatever. When we try to please somebody's flesh, it's just never, ever enough because our flesh is insatiable. And that word means unable to be satisfied. The more you pour into the flesh, the more it needs. It's a, it's a black hole. And when you enter into a relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, and, <clears throat> and when you enter into a relationship and that person has a black hole in their soul and they're trying to take from you everything that they need, the affirmation that they need, they're trying to take from you meaning, they're trying to take from you, like you gotta laugh at all my jokes, you gotta tell me I'm cool. If we enter into a relationship with like a person with like that and you try to give that person all that stuff, and this is what Dale Carnegie says in his book, right? <clears throat> the whole philosophy of his book. It, it's never enough. It is never enough. You know why? Because you cannot, feel, you cannot fill the human soul. And Dale Carnegie's book on that topic fails in this one thing. And it's very smart. It's a very smart book. But it, he, fails to say, he fails to understand this one thing, is that human need, our flesh, is never satisfied. And the more you fill it, the more you give it, the more it's going to ask. Okay? And this is why we can't live that. This is why there's only one thing that can happen in our life that's got to be broken. All our opinions and all of our, everything that we live in, all of our smarts has to be at some point broken. You know why? Because God wants to deliver you and I from our own bondages. You know, you ever notice, <clears throat> if you're the kind of person that likes to be by yourself a lot, and I can be that way, and a lot of us can be that way, I just want to be by myself, just kind of hang out and, you know, just control my world, you know, just control my whole world, have everything like in my, in everything in like my order. You know, you ever been like that? And guess what happens? Everything's in order, everything's beautifully clean and everything like that. And then guess what happens? I'm a prisoner. <laughs> I'm a prisoner of my own house, right? Somebody comes to visit me, right? It's, oh, don't touch that, right? I'm a prisoner of these things in my house or a prisoner of my car or a prisoner of my relationships. And you know what happens? God wants to deliver us from that. Do we have friendships that put us in prison, that put us in prison? People that are just toxic, that just do not reaffirm who you are in Christ, we need to be delivered from that. And guess what? God will have to break that. God will have to break that. Do you know why? Because God is trying to break you and I from the failing attempt that we are trying to do in Christianity, in society, and to be the perfect and the, the best guy in the block. I mean, in some neighborhoods, it's like a, it's like a contest. Who can have, I, it's, it's really cool. Like, I mean, in some neighborhoods, it's like a contest. Who can have, like, the straightest grass and, like, the coolest, you know? It's really cool. So it's, it's, like, amazing, you know? And you come to my house, and we got weeds. You know, we got to pull our weeds. And, and we're going to work on that, right? And my wife and I talk about that, but one of these days. And I'm not a gardener. Like, you can come to my house, and, you, you know, there's something growing into my bushes. It's really pretty, but I think it's a weed, actually. And so if you come to my house, you'll be like, um, Pastor, that's a weed. And it's going to eat up all your bushes. <clears throat> But being delivered 
from the expectations of ourself and from our own culture. You and I were brought up in a culture with fallen parents, and God bless our parents, we love our parents. I love my mom and dad very much. They're just amazing people, and <laughs> they just went through a lot, you know, and they kept their sanity in Christ, and my mom now is in heaven, <clears throat> and I love them, but you know, there's some things that we've grown up in our culture, in our, in our, <clears throat> in our mom, with our mom and dad, that, that just <clears throat> are not part of the economy of God's grace, and some expectations. You know, some cultures in Europe, or maybe you know, Hispanic culture or American culture or, or, I mean, we have so many nationalities here, Italian culture, right, Mike? Or, you know, different cultures, you know, that we have here is that we grew up in this culture and there's these expectations from us that are just not even, that are not even from God. And if we fail these expectations, right, we feel like we failed. God wants to deliver us from that. That's the flesh. Here's another thing is that maybe you've grown up and I had someone in my family say this to me and their father was, was an alcoholic. And their father passed away because of, he just drank himself to death. And, and that person grew up, now they're an adult. And they said to me one day, they said, I still can hear my dad say to me that I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm going to be a failure, I'm gonna be good at nothing, and that I'm not beautiful and I'm not desirable. And that voice is like a ghost in their head. It's still talking to them. And they still make decisions based on that voice of that alcoholic who didn't even know God, who knew God later in his life. And, before he passed away, but made a turn. We are listening to voices in our head that are just not the voice of Christ, and we have to discern that. We have to say, that's not the voice of God. And sometimes people will say things to us, and we have to discern it in 1 John chapter 4, discern the spirits, Matthew 12, verse 36. Every word that I say that's idle, and what's an idle word, Matthew 12, 36? It's my verse for social media. Anything that I say that does not have the eternal purpose of edification of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, is an idle word. It means it's not fulfilling God's purpose. That means if I'm joking around with somebody and I say something or I just say something off the cuff and, it's, and it kind of just tears them down, that's an idle word. We have to be careful because the words of Christ, the words of Christ build us up. They give us an inheritance in Acts 20, verse 32. The word of God gives us an inheritance. It gives us something that we didn't have before. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says that death works in us. There's a process. But you know, death doesn't only work in, in the believer, but it works in the unbeliever too. We have to look at it like this, is that um, sooner or later, life happens to the believer and the unbeliever. Life will happen. And if you have Christ, you're going to have some answers. If you have the word, if you're part of a body of people that are exalting the word of God above character and, and everything else, but exalting the word of God above everything, then you know what will happen? is that you're gonna have capacity, you're gonna have equipment, you're gonna have strength to go through what you go through and glorify God in it and glorify God. And then the life of Christ is revealed. When I was saying, I didn't finish what I was saying, but sometimes we come through the door and we don't feel, but we're here by faith. And we say, you know what, I'm here by faith, I'm drawn near by faith, and you don't feel really great. But you know something, you come to the room and there's an aroma in your life, there's a fragrance. There's this brokenness, there's this oozing, if I can, a spiritual oozing, and it's called the anointing. And you look at that person, you say, you know what, there's something about them. Just the, 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 this, the, their atmosphere is just, you just know that they've been with God, you know? You ever meet somebody like that? You meet somebody and, you, and their spirit touches you, you know? And whatever you think of Mother Teresa, it, it's, it's your opinion, it's, you know, 
she wasn't Protestant, she was Catholic, but I, I really believe she knew God. And she, you know, and you can, you can argue, you, we can argue about some things, but I think if you look at her life, there was an anointing in her life because you know what? She just laid down her life for Christ and for the, she was, yes, she was a humanitarian. Was she ecumenical? Probably. But one thing that she did, she really knew the heart of Christ for people. And when you were around her, there's a picture on the internet, if you find it, um, it's a picture of her feet, you know? And she's a woman, right? Women really like to take care of their feet, right? Like to have nice looking feet, toes and everything, I, I guess, right? Her feet, her toes are all gnarly like this. It's just unbelievable. And this is like the Bible, I, when I saw that, and there's a Bible verse underneath it, I used to have it on my desk. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the gospel of good news, right? Beautiful feet. What looks beautiful to God does not necessarily look beautiful to you and I. Because God is trying to break our, de- our dependence and our addiction on, on, on the sense of power. And when you come in through that door, and when you come into somebody's life, you make a phone call, or you step out by faith just to share the gospel with somebody like we do on Saturdays. And when we do that by faith, you know what happens? There's an anointing there. And the people look at you, and, there's, and here's, the, here's an example. Here's an illustration that I thought of this week. Um, when I was a young teenager, my dad bought me a, a, some cologne. It was like this very inexpensive PR card, didn't I think it was called. You know, it was like in a bottle. And, you know, it was just at that stage where, it, you know, you put it on and it was very strong, but you only smell it for about 15 minutes, right? And then you don't smell it anymore. Then you put more on, right? <laughs> and then like you're putting more and more on, right? And like an hour or two later, you got so much of this on, you can't smell it. You walk into a room and everybody's like, oh my gosh, what is that? What are you wearing, right? And you don't smell it anymore, right? Or maybe you get out of your car, there's this nice car deodorant in there, and you get out of your car, you don't smell, and you get back in your car, and with the Texan heat, you know, it's just, it's just amplified in your car, because this, you know, this, this uh, little, this little deodorant is, is heating up, and it's giving its fragrance. You come back in, and you smell it. This is the way the anointing is. The anointing is, is that you have it on your life, and you can sense it for a while, like, wow, I think God's with me. I sense God's presence in my life, even though it's hard. But then there's, a, then there's a period of time where you don't feel it anymore. It doesn't mean it's gone away. It's just that we've, we've gotten used to that, that sense. But when you walk into a room and you t- talk to somebody, when you talk to somebody and they're interacting with you and they smell that, they, they smell that fragrance. I was going to talk about John chapter 12 today more, and I want to I just allude to it in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is a story of a woman that brings this alabaster box, it says in the King James, but it's actually a vial, it's like a vessel made of alabaster. Have you ever seen something made from alabaster? How many of you have ever seen something made of alabaster? It's really beautiful, isn't it? It's, like a, it's kind of like a stone, and it's, a, it's like a vessel that was, um, it was from Mary, right? And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, they're at dinner. And Mary, Mary's family probably is a family, because they're all brothers and sisters, probably was a family with resources. They were probably wealthy people. They were the best friends of Jesus. They were some of the Jesus' best friends. And during the last week of Jesus' life, Jesus would go into town, into Jerusalem. He would preach. He would do miracles. He would cause atonement in the, ta- in the tabernacle. But at the end of the day, where would he go? He'd walk outside of the city to this little town, this little area called Bethel right? And they go out to this little place, and that's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house were. And all, him and all the disciples would just camp out on the floor in their house. 
And this happened every night. And one night, and this is after John chapter 11, because John chapter 11, remember, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so Lazarus turns into this big, high-profile person, like everybody wants to talk to him. So in John chapter 11, at the end of the chapter, and beginning of verse 12, we can see that Lazarus is kind of behind the scenes. He's kind of like, kind of staying out of the spotlight of the, of the public eye. But he comes out to dinner. And it says, and it says in, I think it says in the King James, but Lazarus was there. And that's why it says it, because Lazarus normally wouldn't show up. He'd be kind of to himself a little bit. So everybody's there. And Mary takes this alabaster box of great, and it's called, and, and, and it's described in the Bible of pure spikenard, pure. Now remember that word pure. And she breaks it, and she begins to anoint Jesus with it. And this is, this is the kind of box, this is kind of the bottle that, that once you open it, you can't put the cap back on, right? We have cologne, we can spray it, and then it sits in there, and we can use it again right? She, she, it's just as once and done, and she pours it on Jesus, and this is a family heirloom, right? And she pours it on him, and the whole house, it says the whole room is filled with this fragrance. It's a beautiful picture in the Greek, because Paul uses that word when he talks about filling up the sufferings of Christ, and the whole room smells like this fragrance, and, 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 and this fragrance was so strong that they say that that for seven days that this fragrance would last on this person. For one week, you could smell this fragrance. And so during this time when Jesus is going through the trials and he's standing before Pilate, Pilate can smell the fragrance. When he stands before Herod, Herod can smell the fragrance. When he stands before the people, before, he's, before the Sanhedrin, and when he's being falsely accused, they can smell the fragrance. And when Jesus is on the cross being, being torn apart, his physical body being torn apart like no other man has ever suffered, there is this incredible fragrance on the cross of Christ in the midst of this graphic, terrible picture of what is left of a human frame and a human body. What a paradox. And that's the way it is with you and I. Sometimes we feel like we're a wreck. Sometimes we're saying yes to God and, it's, and it hurts. And man, we're just pushing forward. And we have all these questions that maybe God's not answering, but guess what? And we don't smell it anymore, but you come into contact with somebody and they can discern the anointing in your life. That's powerful. The anointing means in the Old Testament, and there's a beautiful thing, there's a whole beautiful series that we can talk about the anointing. It's one of my favorite topics. The anointing speaks of a delegated authority. It's an authority, it's a position, it's a recognition of status and power and office and right and ability to be in a particular place of power and authority. And Jesus had that. That's why Jesus is called Christ Messiah, Christ, Christos, which is this Greek word that means anointed one. Jesus is anointed. And if we want to have an anointing in our life that breaks the yoke of sin, I'm going to wrap it up with this. The anointing breaks the yoke of sin, and it breaks the yoke of the flesh. And when you and I are in an anointed place, and I remember the first time as a teenager that I experienced the anointing of God, it was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. It was in this ministry when I was 11 years old. I'd never experienced, I had gotten saved when I was nine, came in this ministry, and there was a, there was, my, my pastor was preaching, and I remember walking into the room. I'll never forget it, right? It was just old Catholic chapel up in New England that had been converted in Maine to a, to a chapel. And we, I walked in and all she, first thing you could smell was just the mahogany in the room, like the mahogany pews. And the other thing you could detect was the anointing of God. There was just something in the room. Something filled the room. There was something in the room. It was like electric. It was like, I don't know what it was. 
And I remember the lady that greeted me at the door. This is in the 70s, okay? I just dated myself. This is like 1978, all right? 11 years old. Now you know exactly how old I am, I think, right? 78? I was 11, born in 66. I walk in the room, and it, it was just kind of like during the Jesus, the Jesus movement. So everybody looked like hippies, and I'm this 11-year-old. I walk in, and there's this, everybody was really intense about their Christianity, super intense. And there was this lady at the door, and she looks right at me, comes down, and looks me right in the eye, and she goes, I see Jesus in those eyes. <laughs> I was like so freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, where am I? But these people loved God, and there was an anointing there, and there was like a seriousness about their Christianity. No frills. There was like no... No bells and whistles, there was no smoke, there was no flashing lights, but Christ was manifested in their life. When you and I understand two things, number one, that the hand of God is active in your life. <clears throat> Sometimes we never change because we never discern the hand of God. We just say, oh, it's people, it's personalities, it's that situation, it's that, that person's doing this. No, it's the hand of God. Remember in Jonah, we said this Wednesday night right over there in the corner there, and join us Wednesday nights, we're having a great time with the book of Jonah, Jonah said in Jonah chapter 2, he said, you, O Lord, cast me into the waters. It wasn't the guys in the boat. It was you, O Lord, cast me in the sea. And I went to the depths of the sea. When you and I can start looking at our life from the perspective of God's hand, it's no longer people. It's no longer flesh and blood, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. And number two, sometimes we don't ever change. We never, there's no brokenness in my life because guess what? I'm so in love with myself. I don't, want, I don't want to take on anything that's going to break, that's going to, that's going to cause any kind of, you know, that's going to cause any kind of um, difficulty because um, we secretly love ourselves and, we, and, there, and thereby we secretly plan to deliver ourselves, you know, and we don't know the depths of that until God, God brings us to circumstances. God is trying to break us. He's trying to break the soul life. We talked about that last week. If you didn't hear the message, go back and listen to it. Because once the soul, once the outer man is broken, the inner man can be revealed. And that's what touches people's lives. That's what's powerful. And that's when we see the, the work of God moving in our life in a mighty way. Romans chapter 12. I want us to look at this in closing. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. What breaks us? What is the thing that breaks us? Circumstances, people, lack of money, finances. No, these things do not break us. God does not break our will. The world system does that. God is not crushing our human dignity or value. The devil does that. God is not breaking our human body. People will do that. God is breaking the outer man. What is the cross? What breaks us? Let's look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And this is our daily ritual. Therefore, I exalt, exalt I exhort you, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, brothers, through the mercies of God, I love that, through mercy, there's a lot we could say about that, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Sacrifices are usually dead, right? But you're living, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. I think sometimes when we present ourselves to God, we're like, oh, I'm a wreck. No, it's lovely, it's pleasing and it's acceptable to God. You're loved by God. And do not be conformed and be not conformed to this age. The Greek here in, in verse 2, conform, the conforming is there's two, ver, there's two parts to it. There's a middle tense and there's a passive tense. That means that when I participate with the world system without discerning it, I'm going to be, turn, I'm going to be conformed into it. I'm, it's going to have an effect on me. If I don't know how to interact, if I interact with the world and not, you know, using the world but not abusing it, as it says in the scripture, 
then what's going to happen is I'm going to be conformed to it. Be not conformed to this age. I think another way you can say it is don't be conformed to this day and age. Don't be conformed to it, but be transformed. And that's actually in the passive. When we say yes to God, God does the transforming in our life. God is doing the delivering from our flesh. God is doing the work. We just say yes to him by the renewal of your mind. And that's the key right there. And we've said this before. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you may approve that which is good and well-pleasing and the perfect will of God. Be renewed in your mind and your circumstance. What is God's mind? What is God's mind? And this is how we know the mind of God right here in the word. What is his power? <clears throat> what is his power? Maybe we'll hit this next week. But what is his power? It is... It's virtue. And there's a lot to say about this. And maybe I'll just kind of like a, give like an intro for next Sunday. Luke chapter 8, verse 46. You know what it says there? It says, remember that story when Jesus has all the crowds around him, pushing against him. I mean, it was like, have you ever been in a Ukrainian train station? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's just like people are pressing against you, you know? And it's like, and then Jesus said, hey, wait a minute, stop. Somebody touched me, Right? And it's a woman that had a, had a hem, she was hemorrhaging blood. And she was not allowed by society to be in society. She was actually an outcast. And she was not allowed to be without actually announcing that she was, okay, I'm, I'm a woman, I have, hem, I have this issue with my blood, make way. Nobody could, ceremony, nobody could touch her because they would be unclean. Can you imagine being a woman or a person in that circumstance that you had to announce your your, your, your lack of acceptability in society and say, watch out, clear, clear, make way. Don't touch me lest you be defiled. Imagine her self-image. So Jesus, she, says in her, she says to her in her mind, she, it says that she's talking to herself, and this is self-talk. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be made whole. Isn't that beautiful? And that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what it means to live in an anointed life, not living in your circumstance. She's probably... A lot of people are standing, uh, you know, and she's probably on her hands and knees making her way to Jesus's, to Jesus's feet. And she touches his garment. That brings us to, to remember that verse in the book of Psalms where the anointing starts from the head, right? And it flows down the beard and then over the arms and down the garments. She probably knew that scripture that David had said in the book of Psalms. And it comes down and it's a blessing. And she said, if I could touch that anointing, if I could touch Jesus... If I could just touch that, if I could just connect with understanding who he is and the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ, and what does that mean to us? Who's the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ today? It is the, what? It's what? The body of Christ. It's you and I. It's you. You're the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ today. And she said, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him by faith, I know that, and, I, and I, I'll be quiet, and I'll just touch him, and then I'll go right away. But you know what? Jesus says, something has departed, something, power has left me, virtue, dunamis. That's the word we get dynamite from, or dynamo. Can you imagine Jesus is so in touch with who he is and his being, that like somebody touches him by faith, and all these people are pressing against him, and he knows the difference? Have you ever been in a situation where you're around tons and tons of people and there's that one person that comes to you and they talk to you and they get and they and, and you sense like, okay, that's how I feel many times with, with all of you guys, you know? And Jesus says, virtue has left me. What's that? What does that mean? Virtue is this word dunamis. Virtue is the, is the physical manifestation of the anointing. It's when you and I are anointed and somebody comes in contact with your life and they see you and they say, you know something? I want that. 
right? That's virtue. And I'll just close with this. Virtue is the character in our soul that's created when you and I live a cross-bearing life. When you and I walk in the cross, taking up our cross, when we're being delivered from our own strength, being delivered from our own power, being delivered from our own opinions about things, when we're delivered from our own strength, our own answers, sometimes we just don't have the answers. And it's so hard to communicate this because I think we're people that are so, as Americans, we're so creative and we're so powerful. We have so many resources and God sometimes has to remove a lot of options in our life so that we can trust him. And when we do that, that's when we begin to understand and discern and experience the anointing of God. This, 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 this morning when we were up here and Mike was praying, I was just praying and I just really sensed God's presence. You know, he was praying and I just really sensed God's presence come in the room. I just thought, you know, God, we just, whatever happens today, you know, and this is all of our prayers, we just want to see Christ, amen? We came here to see Christ, right? And, and we appreciate everything that everybody does. We've got some incredible volunteers here there's a lot of things that we still could be doing, but you know something, when we come here, that is my, as a pastor, <clears throat> that's my greatest prayer, that you'd come through those doors, and that you could touch the hem of Christ's garment, not my garment, but Christ's garment, because I'm just a vessel, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and you can touch the hem of Christ's garment, and you could walk out healed to be made whole, and face your week, you know, amen, that's our prayer, so let's just close our eyes and pray, Lord, we sent your presence here this morning, God, your sweet presence, Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we thank you, praise you, God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to anoint weak and stammering lips, Lord, that your anointing, your presence is upon us, Lord. Just as in the Old Testament, it said that they were to carry the ark of the presence of God on their shoulders. God desires to be dwelling in the midst of men's and women's shoulders, and that's our heart, that's our head. Well, we thank you, God. We're so blessed. Jesus, thank you.